What's up, what's up, what's up, and welcome to Black Love Unpacked. You just heard from Jay Buck, Never Knew Love. He will be in concert with Boys to Men in May in Memphis, and so please check him out. He was gracious enough to let us use his music. I'm DL, co-host of Black Love Unpacked. And I am Indigo Blue, also co-host of Black Love Unpacked. All right, let's jump right into it. And episode one, we talked about me. And so in episode two, it is Indigo's turn. And first, how you doing today? I'm doing well. Um, a little tired from stuff that I've had going on during the week, but I'm doing pretty good. Glad to hear you're doing well. And, and you earned that tiredness. And so make sure you rest. Yes. All right, so <laughs> to get us started. So what's your name? My name is Indigo Blue. All right. And tell us about your black background. I was about to say black ground. I guess that could be a new word <laughs> oh. for us. Give yeah. us your black ground. And so what's your background, your childhood growing up, and family dynamics on all that? Okay. So I grew up in rural Tennessee on a pig farm. I am the second of four siblings born to my parents and I grew up in an environment that was toxic and volatile a lot of times, and at other times it was filled with a lot of love and caring. I have two sisters, and a younger brother came a little bit later on in life when I was 17 years old. He truly is my baby brother and always will be, but my younger sister and my older sister, we grew up in a very violent home as far as my father and the issues that he was having with trying to raise us and, and things of that nature. So that kind of shaped the way that I in particular look at love and how I show up in the world. I had a lot of being outside, enjoying just being a kid when I could. I was a part of the crew that was outside all day. We didn't really have street lights because we were far out in the country and there were no street lights. So you knew you had to be back in the house before it got dark. Spent a lot of time outside in the woods. I would pack a little bag and I would trek out on my own and be outside all day, enjoying nature. And that helped me keep a whole lot of sanity when I was growing up in that type of environment, uh, understanding the things that, not understanding the things that I was going through and trying to make sense of it all, having a connection to nature. And all of that helped me to be who I am today. I made it through school. I'm, I wouldn't term myself an academic, although I like to read a lot and things of that nature, but I would get lost in books such as the Chronicles of Narnia, went through school, didn't have a whole lot of trouble. I was a quiet kid, just stayed out of the way because I learned early on that being quiet meant safe. Now in my adult life, I realize that that no longer serves me, but as a child, I was quiet to make sure that I stayed safe and went through my whole life doing that. Ended up going to the military at the age of 18, doing about eight years there, learning a whole lot about who I am and who I am not. 
developed some discipline and independence that I didn't know that I needed at the time. And then after I completed uh, basic training and my advanced individual training, I came back home and, and decided, had to figure out what path I was going to take from there. But all throughout that time, I, I was questioning who I was a lot. The struggle of being who I am and often having to question that and the violence that I was exposed to, not only with uh, my family of origin, but also with just men in general. And black men, in fact, caused me a lot of issues as I grew up. And so... I decided that I needed to get away and the military was the way for me to do that. And it opened up a lot of doors for me to be able to do some of the healing that I've done and and acquire some of the things that I have. So that's a little bit of my background as far as childhood and growing up. Lots of violence, lots of love as well, but a mixture of things that have made me the crazy person that I am today. (laughs) (laughs) You you bear that lead on the pig farm thing. Audience, this is my first time learning... (laughs) That Indigo grew up on a pig farm, and and so we're going to have to get into that and and delve uh, deeply into um, pig farm living. Yes, it's it's a lot. (laughs) I have aspirations to not have a pig farm, of course, but to have a farm (laughs) and not for me to farm it, right? I'm going to hire and use human rights uh, practices in my hiring of farm laborers, but... I, I do have aspirations for that, so we'll talk about I got that. You. Uh, I got you. Later. And so let's talk about your educational background, your training, and your career, and the, to talk about what has brought you to where we are today as co-hosts. Okay. So I feel that I like to think that my education started very early. The educational system that I came out of in Haywood County when I was in school was a very good school system. Now it's lacking because it is a mostly black town, but it is white run, a lot of old money there. And so the school system has suffered because the constituents in that area are not the type of people that the ones who have all the money the affluence and all of the things that are needed to make sure that you can keep good school teachers, that you can have funding for good school programs. They're not investing in that like that. I like to think that I had a good education coming out of high school and and everything and moving into the military. And then I went to the military and basically I was a supply sergeant. I was an armorer and I issued uniforms gas masks, things of that nature to soldiers when they came through. We were a ragtag bunch of people (laughs) at a detachment. Our main unit was in Nashville and we were a detachment stationed in another small city. And so we were pretty much the stepchildren of the unit and we didn't get any of the resources that we needed. It was pretty much a repeat of the things that I experienced in my life with not having the resources that were needed to be effective. And I did that, learned what I needed to learn. I learned discipline. I learned how to push past my physical limitations as well as mental limitations to achieve goals that I wanted. And that served me for on up until now, being able to see what I can do if I put my mind in the correct state and orientation to the tasks that I have to do. I went to, at the age of 21, I landed on the campus of the University of Memphis, did not 
take it seriously enough in that I did not prioritize my education the way that I should have. And so I ended up not getting a degree at all, but collecting a whole bunch of credit hours because I didn't have I didn't have anyone guiding me as to the things that I need to do in my education. My advisors didn't really guide me and okay, this is the best route that you need to take to achieve what you want to achieve. So I started out in computer science. But because I was working so much, I couldn't devote enough time to study and I ended up shifting away from that. Then I went to art, which I thoroughly enjoyed. But again, work and and other things in life and having to pay bills because I was not financially savvy at all. Ended up taking precedence to me getting an education and then just plain old being young and and dumb. (laughs) And making decisions about classes because I wanted to be my friend in her class instead of taking classes I needed to complete my degree. So needless to say, I didn't complete my degree. I used to have a whole lot of hard feelings about that as far as turning it inward towards myself and wasting what I felt was a great opportunity. But as I sit now in my life, that was not the path that I needed to take. And I'm okay with that. I went into the workforce, went into manufacturing and started as a temp, moved up to supervision in manufacturing, learned a lot about people and the way that businesses run along the way with that. And just, I've always been, and from the time that I was very little with the things that I experienced, I wanted, I felt that it was my life's purpose to help people to be able to deal with or not even experience the things that I had experienced as a child. So that was like my guiding light as I went through my life after the military in the experiences that I had at home. I got into, landed in the church, as a lot of people do when they're going through things. And I I landed in churches that were filled with what I believe to be traumatized people who had no idea what they were doing and therefore re-traumatized people. And so I, I ended up in dealing with three different churches that... While I I gained a lot of biblical knowledge as churches teach it and then studying on my own because I felt that I was called to be an evangelist and I wanted to study to show myself approved and understand the Bible. But people didn't like me asking questions. I've always been a, a voracious consumer of knowledge as a protection mechanism, mainly. If I know enough, then I won't be unawares. I won't be caught with my pants down, that type of deal. So I did a lot of studying and trying to understand. I am by no means a theologian of any type, but I have put in work to study and understand scriptures as they relate to my life. I do not turn myself a Christian anymore because of my experiences in the church and from my studies, wanting to be more aligned with just a general understanding of God as a principle and not sky daddy, if you will, that does not meddle in human affairs nearly as much as we think he does. But going through all that, I hit a brick wall when I was about 37 years old, landed in a, a rough spot in my life, and I had to make some major changes. And once I decided that I was going to move into that change, I decided to, I, I developed more of a desire to work with people who have been traumatized. And so I started to seek a program that could teach me so that I would not harm people. Cause I feel like I and other people have been harmed by people whose intentions are well, but they don't have the knowledge and the skill necessary to help people navigate trauma and what it is. 
And so I decided that I wanted to become a trauma recovery coach, checked into a program, found that it was very, in my opinion, it was very academic in the way that it laid out things. It was something that I could completely get immersed in because it was exhaustive and had so much information to make the case for why coaching is needed and being able to help people in a level that goes a little bit beyond therapy. I'm not a therapist at all. That's not the work that I do, but I do work in tandem with, or when people have completed therapy, I work with people in that way. And I continue to push and lean into that to make sure that my credentials are up to date. I have continuing education courses that I have to take to make sure that I'm staying abreast of the latest trends when it comes to trauma and how things affect people. And that's just a little bit. That's most of my educational background. All right. A couple of things I want to say before we move on to the next question. So the first Mm -hmm. thing is claim your genius and claim your study and so you are a theologian because theology is the study of religion and in this particular case Christianity and so that's what you were able to do and so you are that because that's what you practice and let's say that and then and we'll get more into what a trauma life coach and your services and those kind of things as the audience gets to know us and so I just want to put that plug out there that she is taking applications. At least I ain't asked no questions ahead of time, but I'm, I am saying she is taking applications. Because she stepped out in faith. And so to help tell, the, the, she stepped out in faith, started her practice. She's now doing this full time. And a lot of black people struggle with mental health and trauma because trauma is so normalized in our community. Like we were born into trauma. It's in our genes if you listen to some of the new age stuff. And so there's that. You're quite needed. I'm going to remix the question because I know your story a little bit. And so Mm -hmm. I'm going to remix the question. Talk to us about your current love status, but also your journey and love in a romantic sense. And so what is your current romantic status, but also, and I think this is important where we go into that black, right? Not that background, but that black ground of your romantic status that because you have a, a particular story that's different than the story I gave in the last episode. So my romantic status, I am currently in a relationship with a non-black woman and it is a long distance relationship. It's very loving, very caring, just good people. If anybody out there is into astrology, she's an Aries, I'm an Aquarius. We work well together though. I have a thing for Aries. I don't get it, but there it is. They always show up. We do our thing. So we've been together for about five going on six months now. It's decent. It's going well. I really enjoy being in a relationship with her. I wish we could be closer, but right now with the economy the way that it is, we are not, but we are in stages of planning that when the time comes. As far as my romantic history, and we're, we'll get back to my romantic status in later episodes so that we can discuss what it's like for me to date outside of my race and the experience and the some of the backlash that I've gotten for it and things of that nature and even questioning of my blackness as a result of it but that is for later episodes my romantic past has been that I have dated black men I have dated non-black men I have dated non-black women and black women And I found in my journey of romance that it does not matter who you date. 
what you have inside of you is going to come out. It's more about who you are and how you present a relationship as opposed to how you choose your partner. Because the issues that you have are going to come up with whatever partner you have, no matter what race or ethnicity you have. I grew up from as soon as I could be attracted to anything, I was attracted to women. Now, I turned myself to be pansexual, and that is for people to identify me, not necessarily what I identify as, if that makes sense. I am me, and that is the way that I have always looked at myself romantically. I have a, I don't really call it a preference, but I love women more than I have ever loved men. And I have no desire to marry a man. So I guess they, the term that they use for that now is homo romantic. I think that's what they called it, but I find men attractive. Do I want to be bothered with a man? No. (laughs) And that is all men just because I I don't think that is so much my history, but being influenced by the culture that I am, that I'm in and being brought up in a religious setting, groomed in a religious setting that marriage is the ultimate goal that I'm to be a wife to this man, that the image of women being domestic and all of that, I can be domestic, but that's not who I am. I can cook. I can clean, I can cook (laughs) and I know how to keep a house and things of that nature, but that has just never been who I am. And I found that men who tend to pursue me usually have some type of power struggle going on within themselves. And then we end up getting into some type of power struggle. And I feel like I don't intentionally emasculate anyone but it ends up, they end up feeling less powerful in my presence. So I don't, I let men know from the get go, if they try to get at me or anything like that, I'm not the type of woman that they're seeking. Usually I'm not a woman that is going to be squelched or over here on the sidelines. The the whole conversation around submission, which we'll be talking about on the show. I'm not a submissive woman in the the term that most men think of submission. I believe submission is a reciprocal practice where I will have to submit on some things. He will have to submit on some things. And it's the same way with women tend to have a more emotionally in-depth relationship than do a male-female duo. But there's also power struggles that have come up in my relationships with women. So I work on myself to be secure enough to not get in that power struggle from the traumas and things that I've experienced. I've had, I've been molested. I've been raped. I've been cheated on, lied to. I've also done cheating on and lying to. I've had a, a, what I believe a diverse background of dealing with people as myself and trying to show up in relationships now as an adult in a way that does not harm anybody else. Because in my past, although I wasn't a person that went around cheating on people, I cheated on somebody once, saw how much it devastated them and then never did it again. And I decided that I wanted to be a better person in relationships. So I do a lot of work on myself. If we get into an argument, I'm I'm going to be looking at myself first before I try to blame anybody else for anything. I don't believe that blame has any space in a adult mature relationship, but the things that I went through with all the trauma that I had have greatly influenced how I show up in relationship. I have abandonment issues. I'm not going to lie. Like I don't the people in my life when I was younger who took advantage of me and used me and abused me were black men 
But that's the community that I live in. We get used, abused and things like that in the communities that we live in. Unless, you know, where they're victims of sex trafficking or something like that. So I am a work in progress when it comes to my romantic status. And I continue to grow and learn from my mistakes and love as hard as I can. All right. And so for us challenged in 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 some spaces. So I'm going to get you to give some definitions. So Mm -hmm. what is an acceptable definition of a pansexual? So this is the way that I define pansexuality. I am attracted to everybody, regardless of whether they're transgender, whether they are male, female. I find attraction to all of them. I don't I'm not the type of person that when I find out someone's transgender, then all of a sudden I become unattracted to them. (laughs) That's not how it works. I love people and I tend to love people's souls versus what they look like. Now, some people take that as I don't care about physical attraction. I believe that physical attraction is very important to the picture of attraction as a whole, because if you're not attracted to somebody physically, your relationship is probably not going to last that long or it may last a long time. And then 20 years down the road, you realize this wasn't what you wanted. But it's just for me, it's simply I'm attracted to people. I don't make any distinction as to their gender, their sexual organs. But like I said, I'm homo romantic. So if there would be anybody that I would marry, it would be a woman as opposed to anybody else. And so that's a new term for me. I've never heard of homo romantic. And so please try to give us a uh, definition of what homo romantic means and why does that <laughs> even need to exist as a concept? Sure. So homo romantic means that I fall in love with women. So while I might look at a man and be like, oh, he's attractive and body parts to do what they do. I'm not going to fall in love with that man. I'm not going to. So I choose to not engage with men like that because I know that most of the time if a man approaches me with the way that I am and things like that, he's going to fall in love with me and not being arrogant. I hope that didn't come off as arrogant, but (laughs) there's going to be this romance that they want from me being a female that they're not going to get. I just don't have that in connection, but homo just basically means same romance. I, I fall in love with women can have sex with men but do not desire to because I don't first I believe that connection in sex is something that's very serious and I don't take it I don't take it lightly so I don't I choose not to engage in that with men I have no desire to do that at this time only women all right this is a good segue and I'll say just like when we heard my story There's a lot to unpack there. And Mm -hmm. just with your story, your story out there, and that's why we collectively need to be unpacking this thing called black love. And let's so let's deal with family status. Are you you we all know you're not married and all those you have children, parents and relationships and all that. What's your family status? So my family status is I am dating but single. I'm in a committed relationship. I do not have any children. I have never been married. I deal with my family of origin as I have to because there's a lot of trauma there and nobody's in therapy 
So it, it's very stressful for me. And I also think that sometimes my presence is very stressful for them because I can't, I can't be any different from what I am. And so when I show up in the place, my healing shows up in the place. And sometimes my hurt and trauma shows up as well. So while my relationship with my family of origin is a lot better than what it used to be, it's still under strain. And so I have to limit the amount of time that I can spend with my family of origin. I have a pretty much a, a small family as far as my immediate family with my sisters and my mother and my brother. My father's still alive and so is my mother, but they're not together anymore. And I haven't seen my father probably in about five or six years. I don't talk to my father, period. I talk to my mother weekly. We meet up, we get on the phone and we do our talking and cutting up and all of that. And my relationship with my siblings, we don't talk a lot, but I get along with my older sister, my younger brother, a lot better than I get along with my baby sister. And a lot of times it's just conflict and things when we all get together. So I choose to stay away because I just, I don't have the capacity to, or the desire to constantly be arguing with people and things of that nature. I understand the nature of trauma, the things that we have been through, how that shapes and molds our personality, but for my own mental health and physical health and emotional, <laughs> all the areas of health, I limit the time that I spend with my family of origin. I do not, I don't have a lot of people around me simply because I'm an introvert who gets drained very easily by being around a lot of people. And I've also found as I've walked my journey that everybody's not trustworthy. So you have to earn your space in my life and not in a way that is ridiculous and controlling and things like that. But I think it is Brene Brown that speaks of a concept of marble jar friends with me also having codependency in my history. People earn the marbles that I give them to put in their jar. I don't take the term friend lightly. I don't use the word family unless you are family to me. And so I had a chosen family for about 20 years or so. Still no real romantic ties or anything like that, but I had a chosen family. We'd all been through quite a bit together. We had built a ministry at a time and we're doing things together. And that ended up all falling apart because we were all traumatized and you know, nobody was going to therapy. Nobody was doing the work and it wasn't because we didn't intend to. We just didn't know the depth of the hurts and pains that we experienced with our families of origin. And so we came together and I'm a firm believer that whatever issues you have will come out with the group that you are in. And so that's what happened to us. And we ended up um, separating, which is a, a very devastating thing for me. And I still, I'm still reeling from it because I am a person that is about community and is about family. And I haven't had that close community presence for about, I guess about eight years now, if not nine years. And so it's been hard on me because although I am an introvert, <laughs> I like having people around me who care for me and who love me. And I haven't had a whole lot of that now. I, I won't pretend like I don't have people in my life who love me. Those people that get you regardless, 
that you are going to have your back regardless of what's going on. If it's 3 a.m. and you in, in, in the clutch and need something, they're coming through for you. I miss those types of people in my life. And so I'm trying to find myself in the midst of not having the family that I desire anymore, but working on not playing the victim about it. Because in order to do the work that I'm doing now with people, I had to sever those ties with my chosen family because it was dysfunctional for me. And I'm not one of these people that wants to act like it was everybody else's fault. We were dysfunctional together. And I happened to be one of the first people that woke up to the dysfunction. And the system, systems, we have an internal system that we have, and then we have our family systems that we come from, work systems and all that. So a a system is going to do its best to maintain the status quo and what it has always done. And so when you step outside of that system, it will do everything it can to pull you back in. And I did not allow it to pull me back in. So it ended up dissipating. And it was a very painful and and traumatizing thing for me. So I am in a space where, again, I don't have the family that I want, but I know that that family is out there for me. And I continue to seek to have the family that I need as I move forward in my life. Why do you feel that there is a need to unpack black love? I feel that black love is a, a loaded term. In our communities, in our culture, there is so much that black love is. Not only romantic love, but also familial love, platonic love, and the different ways that we show. And I feel that there's a lot of gatekeeping when it comes to the different types of love that show up in our experiences as just humans. And then that can be sometimes be compounded anymore by the experience of being a black person who loves or being loved by black people. There's a lot of people out there now trying to unpack romantic love. And I feel like there's a lot of men against women or a certain type of woman against a certain type of man or a certain type of woman against another type of woman and the same with men. So I think that there are a lot of concepts within our community that need to be laid out and talked about. Because they have been shoved into boxes and pushed to the side. We also have concepts and things like that that come that don't even come from us, our culture, that we're taking on. And it's detrimental to who we are in our relationships. And so I think it is a, a very needed conversation for us to talk about some of these things that other people aren't going to talk about. And to, to get them out there so that we can see what our true expression of black love is. Because there's room for it all. But we do so much. What is it? Trying to decide for others what blackness is, what black love is, what it means to be a black person here in America. That I think sometimes we lose just the simplest forms of. of, So I think this conversation is long overdue. And I do I believe we'll do a good job of unpacking and and just putting it out there and having a conversation about it. Blue is the initial of black love Mm -hmm. unpacked. And so to shorten it up, we're going to say blue. So how is blue podcast different from other podcasts about black relationships? And also 
how is this podcast going to change the conversation? So first and foremost, most of the podcasts that I've seen around this subject are people pit. It's like they're pitting guests against each other, which I don't like. I don't argue with people. There is an intelligent discourse that can go on about this because I know that both you and I have the common goal of understanding black love, how we show up within the the context of black love and then getting true answers to help people unpack their black love issues or embrace their black love more deeply. It's a different type of conversation because we're not going to be on this show screaming at each other. (laughs) We're not coming in with the belief that I am right and you are wrong. We're coming into this with a dialogue about these concepts and concepts that our culture doesn't like to talk about a lot. Like, the term being pansexual, being a part of the LGBTQIA plus community, being a non-traditional black male, being a non-traditional black female. All of those concepts and those little boxes that we put each other in to try to grasp and, and make sure that we can understand who this person is. We're going to talk about all that and break a lot of the stereotypes that we put on ourselves and the conditioning that we have around what true love is in the context of blackness. I think the the conversation has got to shift before we start marginalizing certain types of people in their expressions of love. Which, I mean, that, that whole conversation about the marginalization of our people and then groups within our black experience being marginalized and things of that nature, we'll, we'll get into that. But this is a I feel like this is a free-for-all conversation about it without us taking a an aggressive stance to try to defend our viewpoint. Now, I do believe that things may get heated. Emotions may fly because when we're passionate about things, that stuff happens. But I feel at the very base of what we do, if this whole conversation is to uncover the truth about what black love is, And then how we want to show up within the context of that. And we'll take a multifaceted approach to it. Instead of just sticking to our own viewpoints and thoughts about things, we're coming to it with an inquisitive and open mind. Curiosity is my standpoint of how I want to come into this. I don't know DL's experience until DL tells me. And I can't purport that I know what it is that DL is experiencing because I can't experience it from his viewpoint. All I can do is listen to him with empathy to gather some understanding and be curious about his experience without feeling like his experience takes something away from me. And I think that is what's heavily missing (laughs) from the conversations around black love, blackness, and, and what it is to be a black person in love in 2023. I would be remiss if I didn't add like one of the benefits of having you as a co-host is that you already are a trauma specialist. People of African descent throughout the diaspora and trauma, whether that was colonization, whether that was enslavement, was that continued Jim Crow, whatever those oppressions names we were able to experience it and having a person who specializes in trauma, 
also helps us unpack black love because black love was able to survive and thrive through those oppressions, but it, it didn't come out unscathed, that, that those traumas rear their heads and, and we see them within these certain traditions. As you talked about, the show is going to be uh, our, our mutual curiosity into, in one another, our mutual curiosities in your stories and hearing and from you all about what are our thinking around family, around friends, around lovers, around our own community. And, and I will say this as a idea. To me, as we think about away from European understandings of love, when we think about what love is, love takes on a responsibility, and in that responsibility, love takes on sacrifice. And so if we're really going to be doing this, and that's what this show was about, is that we have a responsibility to our listening audience, but also our black community to our family, our friends, and she's coupled, I'm not, but even the lover I don't even have yet, I have a responsibility to. That's what this podcast is offering to me differently that we get to speak to healing of those traumas and navigating those hard conversations, navigating traditions that that are birthed out of the trauma that we no longer, I think I told the story of the grandmother, mother and daughter of cutting ends off of the those ham. ends of the ham. And we got to understand though, that cutting off of those ends of the ham, that was part of that trauma. And we no longer need to be passing that down and, and we need to come up with new survival strategies, but more importantly, thriving strategies. And so, Indigo, what you got? I agree with you 100%. There are so many things that I see just in general within black love and the expression of that that are rooted in trauma responses and and survival and us being pitted against each other. And so us letting those things go, it's going to be a process. It's my goal (laughs) Not to re-traumatize people in the looking at who they are and how they show up in relationship across the board. But there are so many things in, in, in unpacking my black love and how I choose to show up. There were things that I had to unlearn and things that I had to learn from straight up scratch as I decided who I want to be in relationship to anyone. Because I believe that black love is me. I believe that's what I give and wherever I go. And I know as being a part of the black community and even having experienced all the things that I have experienced, the love that I receive from black people is like no other. The love that I have received is like no other. And so that is why I have the desire to help us to clear out the things that can sabotage that love and tainted and masquerade as something that is not trauma is it, it's all up in us. <laughs> it is, it, it lives in us until we are able to dig it up, look at it, love it, and then release it. And we don't know how to love 
what we've been through in a way that does not keep us in a victim mentality. We can release all of the things that no longer serve us with an attitude of love. And sometimes that love starts out as anger, but you learn that the way that you loved when you were younger has changed from now to then because love is an evolution. As you grow, the way that you love grows. And so getting all of that laid out in front of us, and we probably need an entire uh, earth-sized warehouse (laughs) to really lay all of this stuff out and look at it. But that's the only way that we're going to be able to heal and show up in ways that are meaningful to us in all of our relationships is by taking it out, looking at it, telling the truth about what it is, and then deciding what we want to do with it. It's real and simple, but complicated at the same time. It, and and that's why we're going to be unpacking it. And to say that uh, we're not going to traumatize, but we're definitely going to make you uncomfortable. Yep. We're definitely going to, the discourse that we need to be having is not going to be a comfortable situation. It's not going to be fun. It's not, we're going to joke and laugh about some of, sometimes it's good to laugh at the hurt, right? Sometimes yep. we need to be laughing at the hurt and with the hurt, but we also yep. are going to be feeling uncomfortable as we, you know, navigate this space. Since any parting words you want to share with the audience about who Indigo Blue is? I am just a person who is here deciding to share my journey to get information out to people, concepts to help you grow. I'm a very practical person who likes to teach people how to do things as opposed to just spouting out rules and and things that you must follow. This will be a journey where we grow together. Your hosts are human. We are learning and loving as we go along. And I would like to thank you all for being on this journey with us. I concur. Thank you all for listening. You can follow us wherever you get your podcast from. Until next time, always remember that there's a different kind of love you can feel. I never knew love. Oh, I never knew love could feel this way. I never knew love Oh my I never knew love could